Heavenly Father, even as we hear the, the rain falling and the thunder, we pray, O oh God, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, Church of the Resurrection, and each individual. Strengthen us with your love and power for the work you've given us to do. Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated? Pentecost Sunday is a day to celebrate God's gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. It's a day to think about the work of the Holy Spirit and to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to come among us even now. I heard somebody say, I heard a pastor say recently, and I wonder if you agree with this, um, this was his observation, his experience with parishioners, but um, he said, my sense is that for many Christians, coming to church represents a break from the real world and in order to remember what God has done in the past. A break from the real world in order to remember what God has done in the past. Now, there's something to that, but there's something problematic about that, both parts of it. One is, of course, the real world is the kingdom of God. And much that we get wrapped up in in the world is one day going to fade away. And so we are um, citizens of the kingdom of God and we bring the kingdom of God into the so-called real world to make it more real, <laughs> to make it more alive with the power of Christ and the message of the truth of the gospel. And we bring that into our everyday lives. It's not an escape from the real world. We bring the real world. We bring the kingdom of God as citizens of God into our work, into our neighborhoods, into our lives. But what struck me was what he said, the second part of it is like, this is, this is just a time to remember what God has done in the past. Pentecost challenges that notion. The work of the Holy Spirit challenges this notion that we're just here to remember what God has done in the past. Yes, we are doing that. We're giving thanks to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. But we're also celebrating, we're acknowledging, we want to name, we want to identify the ways in which the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives and is working in our lives and throughout the world. And so that's what I want to do today. I, I want to renew our, our sense of our need for the Holy Spirit's work and name how the Holy Spirit has worked among us and pray for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God today in our midst. So I want to focus on, as, as you think about the work of the Holy Spirit and all that the Bible has to say, this is something that you could preach on for weeks, if not months. But I want to just focus on two aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit that we see in our readings today. And the first is uh, an internal work of the Holy Spirit, what, God, what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. And the second is what the Holy Spirit does to compel us outward. So the interior work, but then the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to send us out as witnesses. We're going to focus mainly on that first part of, um, of our first aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does inside of us at an interior level. And I get this from what Paul says in Romans 5. So if you want to look at your bulletin and turn back to that page, page 10. What Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5 especially. He says, and hope does not put us to shame. 
Why does hope not put us to shame? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. <laughs> Just look outside the windows and see the pouring rain. That imagery, God's love being poured into our hearts, this imagery of an of a inexhaustible fountain or flowing of the love of God. God's love is inexhaustible. And what Paul is saying here is that, okay, stop looking outside. The, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> now look back up here. <laughs> totally joking. You can look outside and listen. That's fine. But um, what Paul is saying here is that this is a work of the Holy Spirit inside of us at an interior level, a subjective work of the Holy Spirit that most likely involves, not necessarily, but most normally probably involves the touch of our emotions. To know this, God loves me. To know that in a personal way. To know that in a way that transcends the intellectual, as important as that is. To intellectually know that God is a God of love. But what Paul is talking about here is that the love of God is poured into our hearts, the center of our existence, the center of our life, to know that he loves us. Something that transcends just intellectual knowledge. And that's transformative. It's so transformative, he says, that in the context of suffering, if you know this love, you can go through suffering with hope. And look at what he says here. This is an interesting thing. He says in verse 2, um, he talks about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of knowing one day, in a full way, the glory of God in heaven. But he says not only do we rejoice in that hope, the Christian hope of eternity with God in his glorious presence, but we can rejoice in sufferings. Think about that. The next time you go through suffering or in the midst of suffering now, physical suffering, mental suffering, anxiety. He says this odd thing, you can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. Well, why? How is that possible? If you understand that God is at work in your character, through the suffering, if you go through suffering with God, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. I think we can just we can reflect on our own lives and the lives of people around us and we can see that oftentimes the character growth comes, the strength, the endurance, the perseverance comes not in the context, not when everything is going smooth and according to plan. Not in a, in a season of comfort and ease, but when there's difficulty, when there's trial, when there's suffering. If we go through those things with God, looking to God, Paul's saying there's character formation happening, endurance, perseverance, and then in the midst of it, I have hope that this is not the final word. I have hope that this suffering, this illness, this difficulty is not God's final word. There is glory to come beyond this life. Well, how are you convinced of that, Paul? Is this just wishful thinking? He says, no. Because, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So, if I know that God loves me, if I've experienced that love, then I can go through these times of trial. Not that I enjoy it, but I can say God is at work in me and I know that I'm a beloved son or daughter of God, and there's glory to come. I, I, I came across a saying that um, 
that stuck with me. I don't know who said this first. I've seen it attributed to different people. Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light because it's in times of suffering and trial. Uh, it, it, can be a, it is often a dark period and we then forget everything that God has... We, we're tempted to forget what God has shown us. And if God has told us by the Holy Spirit, you are a beloved son or daughter of God, that is a rock on which to stand through the trial, through the difficulty. It makes all the difference in the world to know the experience of, or to experience the, the love of God. And, and, and Paul says, now that's a work, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, to know this love. I, I want to kind of step back here just a minute, step back and talk about the believer's relationship to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And um, I don't want to address that before proceeding because we come at this from different places. We come at this from different backgrounds. What is the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Christian believer? Some, some of us were raised in traditions where the work of the Holy Spirit was front and center to our faith and to our worship. Some people come from a tradition where the work of the Holy Spirit or the, the, is sort of sidelined or not talked about, and the Holy Spirit is sort of like the forgotten member of the Trinity. So we, we come from different backgrounds. We come from different experiences of the Holy Spirit. And um, here's where I've, I've arrived at this season of my life when it comes to understanding the work of the Holy Spirit and the believer's, uh, the believer's life, the life of a Christian. And I don't pretend that I've got it all figured out. Who would be so foolish to say, I figured out the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I've got the Holy Spirit nailed down. The Spirit of, you know, who comes in fire and wind and in surprising ways. But here's, here's where I'm at now. And some things that I, I'm more convinced of and i almost like 100% on these things and there's other things that I hold a little bit more lightly. Here's, thing, here's something that I just 100% on. That all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Fundamentally basic. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. If you come across a theology that suggests that not all Christians have the Holy Spirit, then you can just take that right off the table because that's not biblical. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the apostles teach. So Jesus, for example, in John 3, remember when Nicodemus comes to him, the Pharisees, and Nicodemus is, is talking to him about what he's seen in the ministry of Jesus, and he, um, he begins the dialogue with Jesus, and Jesus talks about being born again and the new life of God. That's a definition of what it means to be a Christian, is somebody who's been born again and the life of God is now in them. And they're new creations in Christ. There's a new life, a spiritual life in them, the life of God. And Jesus says this doesn't happen apart from water and the Holy Spirit. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, you cannot have the new life. You cannot be born again. So part of what it means to be a Christian is to have the new life of of God, the kingdom of God in you, that doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, that no one can even make a confession that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. A genuine confession that Jesus is Lord is a work of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul goes on in verse 13, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, 
And we're all made, we are all made to drink of one Spirit. So there's unity in the Spirit, in the body of Christ. In this sense, we're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. We all drink from the same Spirit of God. So when somebody puts their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into their life, God's love is poured into their life, into their hearts. This is just part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. But there are degrees. There are, I believe, degrees of awareness of the love of God that fluctuate in our life through different seasons. There are, there are degrees between Christians of awareness of God's love and power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so there are degrees, I would say, of the fullness of the Spirit in different seasons of our lives. Beyond conversion, beyond coming to faith in Christ, there's subsequent experiences of the work of the Spirit that can happen in our life. And I believe this is what Paul teaches. I think it's very clear in places in his epistles where he's, he's implying that there are degrees to the knowledge of the love of God that come through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 3, he's praying, he says to these Ephesians, now this is what I'm praying to you, or not to you, but for you, to God. You have the Holy Spirit. You know the love of God. But he says, now I'm praying that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that you might know more of the love of God in Christ. And he goes on and he talks about this love, the wideness, the deepness, this love of God in Christ that surpasses knowledge. And he says, I'm praying that you would know more of that. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so all Christians have the Holy Spirit. All Christians have had the Holy Spirit by the mercy of God poured into their hearts and to know the love of God. But we can be strengthened. We can grow in this love and knowledge by the work of the Holy Spirit. We can experience a refreshing in that love, a refilling of the love of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my third point. Here's something else I want to say that I think is very important when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of us, given our backgrounds, uh, given what we have seen or read about in church history, may associate the work of the Holy Spirit only with the extraordinary, strange, mystical, supernatural. Okay. Now, if you read about the history of revivals in America, for example, the First Great Awakening that happened in the 18th century, and Jonathan Edwards led that, and then they brought over an Anglican, George Whitfield, great Anglican evangelist, to promote the Great Awakening. And um, you read about what happened in that revival, and then in the Second Great Awakening in the 19th century, which uh, started at Cane Ridge, Kentucky. And you read about what was going on there, and people attributing this to the work of the Holy Spirit. And you read about things like people weeping, people falling, shaking, and trembling. And all these sort of strange mystical experiences and people debated of whether this is authentic or not. And some people hear about this and, and they say, well, or see these sorts of things and say, if that's the Holy Spirit, that's for them and not for me. I don't want anything to do with that. Because we've associated, especially in our context, American revivalism, the Holy Spirit only operates in these sort of dramatic ways. 
But the problem is, is, is that that restricts the work of the Holy Spirit to just these sorts of strange, extraordinary experiences. And yes, the Holy Spirit of God can work in extraordinary, strange, and mysterious ways. And he does do that. But the Holy Spirit normally uses the ordinary means of grace. What we call the ordinary means of grace that God uses to strengthen us in our walk with Him and in our love for Him. So the preaching of the Word, an ordinary means of grace. The sacraments, reading of Scripture, prayer. All these are ways that the Holy Spirit uses even whether we feel something or not, the Holy Spirit is at work in these ordinary means of grace. And they're not going to be effective apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So one thing we need to do is just name the fact that and appreciate the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work all the time through these ordinary means of grace. You know, and, and whether we feel it or not, He's working. But it is wonderful when we experience something through the presence of the Spirit, through these ordinary means of grace. So for example... I'll just give you some illustrations of what people have said to me through the years of how the Holy Spirit has touched them just through the ordinary means of grace. Um, I've had people say to me, you know, when I took communion, I experienced something there. I experienced the personal love of God for me in Christ Jesus, and that strengthened me. I've had people talk to me about, you know, when I, when I was reading this passage of Scripture, finally it clicked, my understanding of the gospel through the reading of Scripture, was illuminated by the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Or I heard this sermon, and finally I understand the message of the gospel, that it's not based on what I've done, but what Christ has done for me. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, right? I experienced the love of God in His presence as somebody prayed for me. These are ordinary means of God's grace that assure us of His love through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the problem is if, if we, in our American sort of revivalistic context, if we only associate the work of the Holy Spirit with the extraordinary and the really mystical, strange things, then, then we'll say, well, I guess I haven't, the, the Holy Spirit's not ministered to me. That's been, not really been part of my life. No, the, the Spirit of God is working through these ordinary means of grace. We need to recognize that. But we shouldn't, Having said that, we shouldn't resist or be afraid of a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. We shouldn't be afraid to let the Spirit of God touch our hearts, as Paul says. The love of God has been poured into our hearts. We shouldn't be afraid of letting the Holy Spirit touch our emotions, the depths of our being. We need to know the love of God. We need to know the love of God in a personal way. We need to be refreshed in that love. We need this kind of hope that Paul is talking about in Romans 5. And the world needs this kind of hope. And that comes from knowing that God loves us. And that's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. I was listening to something the other day. And um, it was an interview with a famous author. He's a very well-known author. Some of you would know this man's name. He lives on the West Coast. Very sophisticated. Very uh, articulate and intellectual. He's written best-selling books. He's kind of a, a guru of sorts on the West Coast, but really he's got a national platform. And he's, he's moved into a different genre now. He's written a book, and it's about promoting hope through the use of psychedelic drugs. It's like the return to the 1960s, right? 
Everything old comes new again. Becomes new. Coming back around. But it was really heartbreaking to hear this interview because here was a man who, again, very smart, very articulate, has a large platform. He's looking for hope. But you know, when you stop believing in God, you don't stop believing. You find a substitute. And this is what this man has found. And he says, you know, I came to this in the context of my father's death. And I saw kind of the hopelessness of death. And, and so the, the, uh, the psychedelic drugs gave me a sense of peace. The psychedelic drugs gave me a sense of oneness with the universe and the animals and the plants. And he said, now here's what really caught my attention. He said, maybe we should set up, this is a serious man. It's, we find it funny, but this is a serious man who has a serious influence. And he said, we should set up, maybe we should set up centers in the United States of America where people could come and have these trips. Because people are looking for hope, he said. There's so much suffering, there's so much difficulty in the people's lives, and they need hope. And I thought, how sad. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the work of the Holy Spirit to give us the love of God, and people are rejecting that and turning to these substitutes. The world needs this hope. We need to know the love of God in this way. And that, that brings me to my second point, this idea of the world needing the hope that only God can give. And that's this, and I'll just be brief on this. Um, the Holy Spirit's work, as wonderful as it is in our own life, is given to us not just to enjoy, but also to empower us to go out. So there's this interior work that the Spirit of God does, but then God sends us out through the power and empowered by the Spirit of God. He sends us out into the world to be witnesses. And you see that in our gospel reading where uh, Jesus comes to the disciples. The door is locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus comes and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the new life. This is the breath of God coming into these disciples and giving them this new life. There's echoes here of the Genesis creation account. Here's a new creation. The Spirit of God breathing into them and empowering them to become witnesses. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you. And then you see on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came on this day, this festival, this Jewish festival that happened 50 days after Passover. That's why it's Pentecost, Penta 5, Pentecost 50, and uh, 50 days after the Passover. And this was a harvest festival. And what we see happening here is God is, is bringing in a spiritual harvest as he empowers the disciples to miraculously speak in other languages so that people from all nations can hear the mighty works of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak out to other people who need to know the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see happening throughout the books of, book of Acts, the apostles going out empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, this is why the Spirit is given to us, not just for us to enjoy but for us to be empowered to go out. I was speaking to somebody, a neighbor, somebody who lives just around here this week, and I was telling her about our church and, and what we had gone through, and she knew that we were in this property development uh, possibility and that, that that had fallen through. And listen to what this lady said. This is a lady who doesn't go to church. I don't even know if she's a Christian. I don't know where she is exactly spiritually. We've been praying for her, our family, this family, but we just had this interesting conversation. And she said, you know what? 
well, now you guys need to reach out. Now you need to reach out to our community. To this community, you need to go out, and, and this can become a, a church for the neighborhood. And I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You're exactly right. That's what we need to do. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? To give us the boldness to do that. We need to be filled afresh with the love of God so that we would understand how much God loves those who don't know him, who are not in his kingdom. So we would be concerned about people's eternal destiny. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray here and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh with, uh, with his presence and with his power. And we'll just depart a little bit from the liturgy this morning. But I'm, I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, will you please stand? And we're going to just say a simple prayer, and we're going to sing a simple prayer of the Holy Spirit to come into our life. But I do want to, um, to say to anyone who might be here today who who would say, well, I have never really known the love of God in that personal way that Paul is talking about in Romans 5, that the love of God is sort of an abstract concept to me. And uh, if that's you today, I, I would just invite you to, even now and throughout this week, uh, to pray that God would open his, uh, your eyes to his love and you might even consider praying these prayers that are in the back of the bulletin. On page 28, there's a prayer of repentance and faith, of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and a prayer for somebody who's an inquirer, for somebody who's not yet convinced of, of Christ, but who is longing to know more of Christ. These prayers are not magic prayers. These are not magic words. But if you pray prayers like this to the Lord with a sincere heart, He will meet you. And you will discover the love of God as you come to Christ in faith and repentance. You can know that in a personal way. But for the rest of us, we need to pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and a fresh awareness of the love of God. So I just invite you to, at this time, if, if you want to, um, I find it helpful sometimes just to open my palms in a prayer, in a, in a, in a position of receptivity, you know, we come to the Eucharist holding our hands out, empty hands. And in prayer, we can hold our hands out, empty hands, and ask the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit. If that's useful to you, then I commend that to you. But let's just pray. We're just going to say something very simple. Uh, come, Holy Spirit. And this is something that the Lord can, can do this work in us today. And this is something we can pray just throughout the week, in, in the car, walking the dog, uh, going to work, at home, before we go to bread, bed, come Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Let's pray that. Let's say that. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh. Come Holy Spirit. Let's sing. Maureen has a song that we can just sing this prayerfully. And it's just, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Just 
sing that again. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, I just want to say a prayer. Maureen, you can keep playing. But Lord, we are coming into a place of dependence upon you as a church. You have been so faithful to us in the past. You've brought us to this place, to this land, to this building. And now we recognize that we need your help. We need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to reach people throughout this community, to reach friends and neighbors, we need boldness. We need a fresh infilling of your love. We need courage, God. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your guidance and direction and creativity, Lord, to reach this world. And in so many ways, this culture is turning its back on you and turning to other things, even things that are so destructive and dark. There's a sense of hopelessness. Help us as a church. Empower us by your Spirit. I pray for people who are going through suffering now in times of trial, that you would comfort them with your presence, with your hope, and with your love. Let's sing this one more time. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy recommend that we we all pray that throughout this week come holy spirit come holy spirit